0: Hey everyone, it's Anita. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Awesome. So yeah, I guess we can just get started here as people sort of trickle in, just to give a little background to everyone. So I'm Anita Ramaswamy. I'm a senior crypto reporter at TechCrunch and on... This conversation with me, I have Sam Rosenblum, who's a partner at Han Ventures, and Brex Dodgehill, who's an associate at Han Ventures, both on the investment team. Han Ventures raised $1.5 billion in March to invest in Web3 startups and is led by Katie Han, who used to work at Andreessen Horowitz on their crypto team, and before that worked at the DOJ. So there's been a ton of attention on your firm, and um, you know, as one of the biggest names in crypto VC, despite the fact that you are working at a first-time fund. So I am super excited to hear about, you know, the crypto markets right now and where you're seeing some opportunities. But I guess, yeah, just, just to get started, we, we basically have half the investment team here right now, right? That's right. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So if, if you don't mind, I think it would be helpful for both of you to just give like a super brief background on what you did before you joined Haunt Ventures.
1: Sure. Yeah, I can kick off. Yeah. Um... So, hey, everyone, my name is Sam Rosenblum. Uh, I'm a partner and lead the deal team at Han Ventures. So I've been working in crypto now full time for going on nine years. Um, I initially actually got into Bitcoin in 2013 when I was in the global strategy group at Visa and uh, very fortunately was one of the first couple of people in all of Visa to be assigned a project where I could somewhat justify uh, studying Bitcoin during my day job. And a few months later, ended up leaving Visa to join Coinbase as a 30-person startup. So I joined Coinbase in 2014 and uh, ended up staying there for five years. Over that time, I led business development, corporate development. I uh, led our international expansion into Asia Pacific and Latin America. Uh, I made the first ever uh, Coinbase Ventures, investment, uh, which I guess was before we technically even had Coinbase Ventures. But I got to do a whole bunch of fun stuff there. And then uh, in 2019, when Coinbase was about a thousand person company and moving into its own skyscraper in the financial district of San Francisco, I decided it was time to start a new chapter somewhere smaller. So I uh, joined some other Coinbase alums over at Polychain Capital, which was one of the first uh, crypto venture funds, and helped grow that from a couple hundred million dollars under management to several billion uh was there for a couple of years and then in late uh 2021 I actually stepped away and was in process of starting up my own venture fund. Um and, and Katie and I ended up kind of linking back up in December. And in January I ended up teaming up with her. So the rest uh I guess is the recent history as as you would have outlined there, Anita, but we are um now in process of allocating our first uh, early stage venture fund, which is the five hundred million dollar fund, as well as our first growth fund, um, both and that's the the one billion dollar fund, and then both of those are investing in in all things crypto and Web three. So, um, you know, equity tokens, warrants, et cetera, and uh, yeah, that that about covers it. So, with that, I'll,
2: I'll pass the mic over to Breck to introduce himself. Sweet, thanks, Sam. Hey, everyone. I'm Breck. Um, I'm an associate on the investment team at Han Ventures. Um, and I got started in crypto in 2017 during my going into my senior year of college, working on a couple of different startups and projects uh, when I was studying computer science. Um, out of college, I joined the crypto engineering team at Coinbase, where I got to work on some really interesting problems working with crypto networks at scale. Um, so, I worked on a lot of our Initial um, platform work to be able to support new crypto networks, things like Ethereum, Polkadot, Solana, Cosmos, all the new things that were launching in the 2018 to 2020 era. Um, then I shifted focus a little bit during DeFi summer and, and got the chance to work on some of the early DeFi products at Coinbase. Ultimately, some of, you know, due to regulatory concerns, they didn't actually get to ship. And that was around the time when I realized it might be a good opportunity for me to take some time to go and work at a smaller place. And so I joined some some friends from Coinbase at Zora as one of the first employees there. Um, Again, working as an engineer, doing all sorts of different things, worked on early versions of the protocol, worked on our SDKs, but ultimately spent most of my time writing a lot of our backend infrastructure, um, things like our data pipelines and APIs to be able to support not just our front end, but also an API that was open for anyone to use. And then somewhere along the way, as an engineer, um, I started to get get interested in in investing personally, um, writing some angel checks, um, and then ultimately doing it a little bit more seriously. And as anyone who's been in the space, the best side projects end up turning into full-time projects. Uh, And so when I got the chance to, to work with both Sam and Katie and Rachel and some others from Coinbase who I looked up to early on, on in my career. It was uh, a really easy uh, decision to make.
0: So you both joined Han Ventures in May, and I just want to do a little like vibe check here. Like, what is the energy like? How is it like uh, sort of being on a smaller team after working at larger startups in the crypto space and especially during the, the market conditions in the downturn right now? How are you feeling?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I started working with Katie at On Ventures in January. So been been around, I guess, for most of this segment of the crypto cycle that we find ourselves in, and definitely, uh, it's been I don't know over the course of eight months. It, it definitely feels like there's been uh, a couple ups and downs in terms of the broader space, which obviously uh, have you know impacted a lot of things and a lot of people. For us as investors, we um, uh, you know I think we came into this wanting to be as general as possible in our coverage and, and wanting to cover you know as we say all layers of the tech stack, so everything from layer ones and you know now layer zeros, et cetera, all the way up to consumer enterprise facing applications and and everything in between. So um, crypto winters generally speaking and, and certainly I think where we're at in the cycle today specifically, I think often do provide a good opportunity to zoom out and really home in on what areas are um, not only interesting, but, you know, really making good headway and good progress and, you know, where are the investable opportunities. So, yeah, we, we can certainly go into some of that. But just from a timing perspective, um, yeah, we're, we're eight months in to, to fund one, both at early stage and growth. We have not really had any downtime. So, so things have stayed just as busy as ever. Um, and, and, yeah, Breck, I don't know if you want to – tag in and, and cover some of the more specific stuff we've been looking at since you've joined. But I would just say uh, things things seem to still be firing on all cylinders at all layers of the tech stock from where I sit.
0: Just one quick question for you um, before we get a little more specific, but how many investments has the team made so far? I know only a couple are public at this point, but just wondering if there's any specifically that both of you were involved in that you want to talk a little bit more about
1: yeah you know i off the top of my head i I actually don't know which ones are public versus not but I, I will say we've made um a dozen or so investments and uh I guess let's see I know Zora is a public one because I remember when Zora Euler highlight are are some of the ones that i I recall some of the press around so we could we can go into those for sure um Breck, anything
2: you want to add on on the market timing stuff no the the only thing I will do is maybe amplify a little bit, is that generally during crypto winters, that's the time for for engineers and builders to, to not be distracted from some of the froth, both in the media, but also just on crypto Twitter and some of the speculation, uh, and be able to spend a lot of time deeply focused on you know working on the next problems to go from, from zero to one and, and bring the entire space along with them. So we're, we're generally very excited um, about what's to come.
0: So I do want to get a little bit later, um, you know, talk about some of the specific investments you've made, but I'm curious about what what is a day in the life looking like for you these days? I mean, you're on a pretty small team. So how does your process differ from maybe other investors in terms of where you're spending your time in the past month or so?
1: Yeah, I can lead off there. Um, and then Breck, want to hear want to hear what you're up to day to day too. Um, so interestingly, you know, Han Ventures, obviously starting in January, we, we started in this... Sort of COVID uh hybrid remote situation. So the team today, the the, the whole team is 12, and then Anita, as you said, the, the investment team is four of us. So we're still small enough and and we're quite nimble where we spend actually quite a bit of time together, whether that's in person or you know on Zoom or calls or whatever. So um, the the investment team actually gets together for a daily standup first thing every morning, just so we everyone sort of knows what's in the pipeline and what everyone's focused on, what sort of research projects we're up to. So that daily standup, I, I actually really enjoy it. <laughs> Breck, hopefully you do too. Or you, you can uh, you can give your take on it, <laughs> but it it is a, a really cool way in a hybrid remote setting to just stay really connected with everyone. And then, you know, I think we do end up in person pretty regularly as well. So so Breck and I were actually just in the office together a couple days ago um, for, for a couple of meetings and just to get some time together in person. So a little bit of both there. And then I mean yeah, as you might expect, we're splitting our time generally between doing research, speaking with founders, and and then obviously working with each other as we decide to, to go deep in diligence-specific companies or projects. Uh, Breck, w- w- what's your day-to-day looking like these days?
2: Yeah, I, I think one, one meta comment, Anita, that I think is really nice, given that this is my first time at a fund, is that A, we're small, and B, we're all f- previously operators in the space. And so we bring a lot of that expertise and sort of process or maybe even lack of process to the way that we work together. Uh, so, stand up, I think, is a good example where that's generally a process that engineering teams and product teams do within Web3 or within tech in general. Um, and we brought that over as a way for us to be able to iterate and be be fast and nimble to react, um, but also like check in on yeah, what we're doing in terms of research and writing and, and output for the fund. Um, but yeah, I think in many ways we look more like a startup than we do look like uh, a venture fund which which I've really enjoyed so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just curious, where are the two of you based? I Sam, I, I feel like I read that you were based in Idaho.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, I am sitting here in Sun Valley, Idaho, which for, for the, the many in the audience who probably have never heard of Sun Valley, Idaho, it's uh, just uh, a cool little ski town, uh, about an hour and a half flight from the Bay Area or L.A., uh, and, and yeah, I am originally from California, and spent you know most of my career working in either SF or LA. But uh, when COVID hit, my wife and I decided to find some some greener pastures in the mountains. So this is where we've been based for the past two and a half years or so. Um, but yeah, we we obviously as a team um, again. There's 12 of us. We we have a center of gravity in the Bay Area. I, I think it's seven out of the 12 members of the team are are somewhere in the Bay Area between you know the the South Bay or San Francisco or East Bay, and uh, actually even North Bay as well. But um, a lot of the team is is spread around um, between LA, New York, DC and, and Idaho, of course. So we are um, fairly distributed, but we have a center of gravity in in the Bay Area, and that's generally where, where we'll come together in person as a team. But then uh, Breck and then Chris on the other uh, another member of the investment team, uh, have also been doing a little bit of travel just going around to you know ECC or um you know just just the the key industry conferences that we feel we want to have a presence at so i'd say between the four of us a decent amount of travel um and we do find a way to see each other in person but obviously we're we're uh, distributed and we're remote a good amount of the time as well
0: so I actually do want to get into you know, some of the trends that you've been seeing in the crypto markets recently. I guess with startups, what are some of the areas that you have both been focused on specifically, like subsectors or types of businesses?
2: Yeah, Breck, do you want to lead off this one? Sure. <clears throat> so I think one, one observation that we've, we've made, Anita, with crypto cycles of past is that, again, these are opportunities for the, the really deep builders to be able to work on innovations that were not previously possible in previous um, cycles. And so generally I'd say we've been spending more time at the bottom half of the stack, whether that be actual iterations or innovations of protocols or dev tooling. Um, and, I, and I think most of the stuff that happens at the protocol level, we can drive back to some advancements in cryptographic primitives, things like, Specifically, fraud proofs and validity proofs are, are opening up the design space for how blockchains can scale better, but then also interoperate better. Um, and so a really good example of this is what we're seeing uh, happen with rollups. Um, so I know, I'm sure as everyone saw this summer, there's been sort of a battle between uh, a lot of the teams that are building uh, ZK EVMs. Um, but more broadly, this represents the movement of a lot of the stuff happening at the layer one blockchain level to be decomposed. So right now, most blockchains do kind of a lot of stuff. They do execution, they do settlement, they do consensus, which means that uh, there's a lot of like really clear resource constraints um, that, that are bottlenecks for scalability. And so with things like fraud and validity proofs, we can start to decompose and move some things like execution or settlement or data availability to different parts of the stack. Um, and, and that's something that I think is, is extremely interesting um, and is definitely, at least for now, the consensus uh, approach for the research community on how blockchains will scale and, and also represents sort of a, a very a very different way for blockchain apps to be built uh, and also probably allows for uh, new ways for them to exist, um, whereas right now, because of resource constraints, you have to... Uh, you know, be really, really cognizant about, like, the amount of gas that you use in an Ethereum smart contract, or you have to do some, like, neat tricks where you pool capital together for for lending protocols, maybe now, as we're able to experiment more with different types of execution environments or the decoupling of execution settlement, we can actually have applications that might, in architecture, look more like a, a Web2 app. Uh, And they're not making trade-offs because they're working with this, like, artificially constrained execution environment. And so things like that that are happening at the protocol level are super interesting to us because they create this, you know, application flywheel for for further iteration up the stack uh, to allow for things that maybe weren't previously possible, uh, you know, in, in previous cycles before.
0: Got it. Yeah, Sam, I don't know if you have anything to add there in terms of areas you're looking at really closely right now.
2: Yeah, that I mean, that
1: just about covers it. I, I think, uh, as Breck said, we are finding ourselves drawn into doing some deeper research and, and spending time talking to a lot of founders lower in the tech stack at the moment. Uh, but we are continuing, of course, to talk to founders and do research at all layers. So. Our portfolio um, definitely includes the full mix. Like, we kind of run the gamut now uh, in terms of what, site, what sorts of projects we're, we're looking into and backing and then ultimately supporting. And of course, all of these things this is kind of what makes crypto so great as an ecosystem. It's like all of these things at uh, different layers of the tech stack are evolving and progressing in parallel, like in, in tandem with one another. Uh, it's sort of. To, to draw the analogy with Web2, it's sort of like if TCPIP, IP, SMTP, and Gmail were, were all being created and invented and developed at the same time. So it keeps things interesting. And we definitely get to kind of zoom in and out at different layers pretty regularly. Uh, but as Breck said, tons of stuff going on uh, with, with ZK broadly. And, and of course, a lot of this has come, come to fruition or come to a head uh, in layer two rollups. Uh, and, and, you know, we continue to be pretty excited about seeing a lot of these things coming to market and continuing to evolve.
0: So given that there are so many crypto startups and web three startups out there and, and you have to make a lot of, you know, sort of quick decisions, I'm sure with a bunch of people pitching you or trying to to get your attention, I'm wondering what are some of the heuristics that you look at that tell you whether you want to look deeper into something or whether you're immediately a pass?
1: Yeah it's a really good point we um we are in the fortunate position where we we have pretty good access and i guess deal flow quote unquote um and we do have to be pretty tuned into what makes sense to to go deeper on versus what you know is just not not the right time and place to engage on so that is honestly one of the harder parts of the job because pretty much everything is interesting, right? At least to some extent, people people in this space tend to be working on pretty interesting stuff, and and again, new mechanisms and designs are invented every day. So it, it's a hard part of the job. And uh, I don't know, Breck, I, I'd be curious to hear kind of like your your approach to the front lines in terms of uh, when you decide to really lean in and engage.
2: Yeah, I think one one way I think about it is there's There's definitely a trend happening where I think a lot of projects are hammers that are looking for nails um, but when you when you speak to a founder or you you know you're you're doing conducting research and you and you you're reading about something and you and you find things that are net new um, there's a different level of excitement and engagement that comes when you're thinking of something that like wasn't potentially possible uh in web two or wasn't pot- uh possible maybe even before in crypto. And generally, those are the things that I get really excited about. Um, and, 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 the, and those things happen pretty quickly for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that's generally the, how, I, how I go about uh, talking to founders or, or conducting research is looking for this stuff that is truly not new.
0: I guess on the flip side, I'm curious if there are any things or any parameters that you would look at that you would say that's immediately a hard no, like maybe like a type of founder or a subsector or something like that.
1: I, that's a good call, Anita. I, I think a big part of it is, um, I don't know. There, there's probably there's probably some spectrum or two by two we could we could draw here on a whiteboard, but it, it comes down to is is the thing that they're working on in the first place. Uh, to, to Breck's point, is it is it interesting and is it potentially going to be an unlock for the space? Is it going to make something possible that wasn't possible before, or is it going to draw in? end users or institutions into the space in a way that wasn't maybe convenient or you know frictionless before. So that's that's one big part of it. Another is are are the founders do we believe that the founders that we're we're speaking with are they well equipped to actually execute on the thing that they're setting out to do? Because of course there's there's a lot in this space. There's a lot of experiments that are going to go on to change the world and then you know for better or worse there are even more experiments that you know, for one reason or another, just aren't going to to work out or aren't going to come to fruition in the way that you know we initially hope or the founders initially hope. So I do think this is where, and you know Breck alluded to this earlier, but a lot of the members of our team are, you know we are previously we have previously been operators specifically within the crypto space. And um, as a result, I think we do have a, a pretty, pretty good intuition, pretty good radar. For when people are setting out to do something new, like do we, what's our feeling about this group's ability to execute on that? And that that stems, of course, you know, Katie has deep experience in this space as well. She she's been in the space from from a, a different side of things since uh, 2012, and then came in and joined the board of Coinbase in 2017. So so between the lot of us on the deal team. Um, I think we are pretty in tune with um, not only our founders equipped to set out to to execute on the thing they're doing, but importantly, what sort of time horizon do we think that's going to be over? And of course, as investors, we we have to be mindful of investable opportunities, but also the timeline that we expect things will come to fruition over. And generally, when these, these different categories that I've mentioned, when they all line up, this is when we find ourselves just... Organically, getting you know each individually and as a group really excited about about the project, and this is where we tend to really focus in and do some deep research and diligence, and hopefully end up you know backing the team and then being able to apply that energy into supporting them and, and helping them bring the project to fruition.
0: There is um, one specific investment of yours that I wanted to ask a little bit more about, which is Euler Finance, the DeFi protocol. Obviously, there's been a lot of attention on crypto borrowing and lending and startups that do that. So I'm just curious, what like how did you get comfortable and get confident around risk management processes specifically when it came to this investment?
1: Yeah, I can lead off on this one. And then, Breck, definitely want your point of view on on the DeFi stuff broadly as well, as far as risk management goes. But boiler's a really interesting one. Like, this is, first and foremost, actually, Anita, to, to your point here, like, De- DeFi has been one of the best-known categories within crypto, I, I suppose, probably since, like, a couple summers ago, you know, DeFi summer of 2020, um, and, and it's a space that brought in certainly a lot of attention, a lot of uh, a lot of congestion on the Ethereum network at the time, and uh, just calls calls into question a couple of main things, and you know, namely, you know, what are what are some of the ways that we think crypto and, and more specifically DeFi can really improve the world and change people's lives for the better. And then, of course, um, tactically, how are we seeing this put into practice? So, at the high level, you know, the ability for anyone anywhere in the world, irrespective of what country they happen to be born into, or what economy they happen to be born into, or what their local legal tender happens to be, the ability for anyone to be able to access really core financial instruments, or, or even just you know, financial access at all. So, the ability to securely save. And then, of course, uh, the the kind of original invention of finance, which was um, borrowing and lending, so the ability for for folks who, if they had some incremental resources, would be able to put that to some productive use and you know create more in the world than than would have existed otherwise. We believe that DeFi is going to be a huge catalyst globally in, in doing just that, and we think borrowing and lending is is really at the core of what needs to be made available for for this to work. So Euler has taken a really cool approach specifically around risk management, where they, and I suppose, I don't want to overstate what the audience already knows, but some of the issues in, in DeFi risk management previously, there's sort of been this trade-off of um, how decentralized is the tool really? And, and then of course, like how, how is the risk uh, mitigated? And, and of course, in crypto winter, When there's a lot of volatility and prices are are changing pretty rapidly, uh, the the value of certain types of collateral can change rapidly. So you can get into some tricky or tough situations Um, for for folks in the audience that have been kind of tuned into crypto over the last few months. We saw some of the, the, uh, I suppose, risks of more centralized versions of risk management where you have um, some small number of individuals or small number of institutions uh, or firms that are deciding how to manage their own risk and then you know bringing other people's capital in. And sometimes that, that doesn't work out all that great. So we, we've seen a couple examples of this recently. Now, super important to note that all the DeFi protocols weather that storm exactly as they were programmed to do so decentralized risk management you know one thing is just how is the protocol designed and then of course how does it deal with that battle testing now bringing this back to Euler specifically they have um found a way they kind of invented a way to bridge this gap between having truly decentralized borrowing and lending um, that still is able to, to mitigate risk of certain types of collateral and so the way that they do this is they actually uh, have different tiers of collateral types anyone in the world you know anyone with an internet connection i should say is able to um, create new new books to, to borrow and lend but ultimately the the asset being used can be assigned a tier by the Euler dao so this is anyone in the world who who's a member of the dao by holding the oil token is able to assign and reassign and reassess the risk tiers of certain um, collateral types. And then, you know, you can choose as an end user if you want to stick to maybe the, the safest collateral types or if you're willing to kind of dip into riskier uh, collateral types. So, Euler, you know, that that's a very high-level explanation of the, the risk mitigation there. But uh, all of that to say, we were very impressed with their combination of bringing in that risk management while actually increasing the level of decentralization uh, in terms of not only the access, but the ability to spin up uh, new borrow and lending pools. So um, with that, I'll, I'll cut myself off and, and Breck, uh,
2: w- would love your take on on all of that. Yeah. And so like even one, one thing that I think it's important to remember when we talk about DeFi and risk management is that DeFi didn't exist three years ago it's super new um and you know i think things move so quickly in crypto that the creation of compound feels like it happened so long ago But in the grand scheme of things it happened two and a half years ago and it's important to remember that these things will get you know things like risk things like risk management will get better with time Uh, and things like capital efficiency will get better with time um, and to Sam's point, Euler is doing some really interesting stuff with allowing for isolated pools to contribute to better risk management across the protocol. Such that if a given, you know, um, collateral asset doesn't do well, uh, other users that are you know potentially um, not exposed to that asset are actually not exposed. Um, and so more broadly, I, th- I expect as more institutional players come and start using uh, DeFi and rather than just retail users, there will be products that come along to provide better risk management. Uh, and, and so we're excited on that front. Uh, but that's also to say that as the, as the space continues to evolve, there will be other surface areas for risk. Um, one thing that's top of mind is cross-chain. DeFi is going cross-chain today. And there's a lot of risks that didn't exist on DeFi that was isolated to a single chain that will exist in a cross-chain environment. Um, and so that will continue to happen. And, and as long as we're able to identify and, and support teams like Euler that are pushing pushing risk management practices in a better direction, then I think we'll, we'll be in a good spot.
0: Cool, thank you. Yeah, so I want to zoom out a little bit um, and ask you about you know, a question that's been on my mind, which is just that I imagine a lot of crypto founders these days, or engineers, or early employees and startups have some significant portion of their wealth tied up in the crypto markets. And I guess just given some of the recent volatility and the downturn that we've seen in crypto prices, what do you do to sort of help some of these founders feel financially stable so they can actually focus on building their companies versus stressing about the market movements?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously. That's going to impact everyone individually in, in different ways. And um, this is where, again, several members of our team have been working in this space full time for the, the better part of a decade. And, and certainly Katie and I are coming up, uh, we'll come up on our 10-year mark soon, soon enough here. But we, we've lived and worked through this ourselves, right? And I think that goes a long way in understanding it's actually, um, there's so many different levels that, that the volatility can, can impact someone on. And it's again different for everyone, but generally there's a there's a combination of, of course there's there's financial and economic pieces, but then there's also psych, like literally the the psychology. It can be really tough to be heads down working on something, especially when when you're a founder or an early member of a team and you've got you know you've got a group of folks who are sort of looking to you for for leadership and inspiration and um, it can be it can be tough, especially as crypto winters tend to to grind on. So you know, I'd say from from our seat as investors, of course, it does give us a little bit of insight into um, the the founders and the teams that we're backing and working with in terms of just how they are dealing with it, how they are leading their teams through it. But um, you know, people tend to say crypto winters it just raises the bar on all sides. It, it raises the bar for founders who are willing to you know leave maybe a steady job somewhere else and. Uh, try to bring something new into the world. And then it raises the bar for um, teams that are willing to go work on that and uh, kind of stake their career and their reputation on it. So for us as investors, I, I think we just given the experience we have, and, and we literally have have been in that seat working through it, um, I, I think it does allow us to, to connect on that level in a pretty good way. Um, and of course, when we are backing these rounds or you know potentially leading these rounds, a big part of um, what we try to come up with with the founders is what is the appropriate amount of capital to raise. And in the the sort of cyclic, cyclicality of, of crypto, generally speaking, when you're raising a round right now, you want to be able to you know to plan for at least a couple of years of runway, if not more. So obviously it depends on the stage of the the business or the company or the project, but um, we are working through that and, you know, making sure that folks are not raising uh, too little or too much and kind of going in an appropriate way there. Um, Breck, anything you'd add for, for how we're interacting with founders on this point?
2: No, I mean, I, I think a lot of it you hit, hit on the head, um, but it really boils down to communications. A, a lot, I think of founders really because they taken the leap to, you know, maybe this is their first crypto startup or it's their second or third, they understand and are willing to put their career on the line for, for the vision that they, you know, ultimately want to see happen. And they're, they're also best positioned to understand that we're at a time where the amount of engineers entering the space is at an all time high. We're now getting mainstream eyeballs from uh, creators and, and other folks that previously Um, hadn't even been interested or were, you know, blinking at at the idea of crypto. And and so making sure to reiterate some of these like foundational core metrics that are moving and and making us feel confident in where crypto is heading and sort of detaching um, maybe some of the headspace or mindshare from where the market is moving, but, you know, understanding and trusting that as as more people come into the space and are actually building that things will, you know, continue moving, moving forward.
1: I will so, say that this is t- this is it tends to be a really interesting you know example of like maybe history doesn't exactly repeat but it tends to rhyme and uh, I I've now been working in this space full time you know for, again since 2014 and you see the same kind of pattern every time in in bull and bear markets where in the bull market people tend to be um, obviously ex- excited and enthusiastic but they also tend to be willing to really make that leap and um you get a really big inflow not only of capital but maybe you know as importantly or more importantly huge inflows of talent right a lot of people are willing to come work in crypto for the first time when things are looking really good and exciting and trending up into the right and then the bear market you just to some extent maybe you see some of those folks some of that talent flow out but really not not as much as you might think So a lot of, um, a lot of the bear market is it's like the people that decided to, to take that leap, you know, some number of months or or maybe even years ago, it now gets put to the test. And, And I mean, I can't speak for anyone but myself, but I certainly have found looking back at my career, some of the, some of the highlights or some of like the, the really standout moments Tend to be in those bear markets when when things are tough and you have to just you know kind of push yourself to to get through it and it is an opportunity I I think maybe to put a silver lining to it it's an opportunity uh, for the the ratio of signal to noise to to increase and again it helps sort of focus in on what really matters and you know making sure you're spending your energy on the right stuff.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question about your structure. Last that I heard, you, you you're structured as a traditional venture fund. But I, I think you might have said something about tokens, Sam, earlier. And I'm just wondering if you had expanded the mandate, if you're making investments in tokens directly or anything of that nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We absolutely do, and we are um, we are structured as a you know sort of vanilla venture fund. Um, and we we are you know, we started up in January. So, without I I am not a lawyer, and without going into the the specific um different approaches one might take to structuring a fund, um, generally speaking, for venture funds that want to invest more than a certain threshold of their capital directly into um, non equities, so things like crypto tokens, um, you do. Potentially, want to structure yourself as what's called an RIA, a registered investment advisor. So we are not set up as an RIA today. Uh, however, we we do invest directly into non-equity instruments like crypto tokens and digital assets. Uh, so as a result, you know we we have a great legal team that will tell us if and when it makes sense uh, to to register as an RIA. Uh, but because we just started up this year, we've got a little bit of time to figure that out still.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering about, you know, we've been talking a lot about the downturn and how it's maybe affected founders and how they're coping with that. But I'm curious about other VC firms specifically, like, do you feel like there some of the other firms that are maybe not crypto native, like the more web two firms that started investing in crypto in the past year or two? Are they pulling back? Are they, you know, slowing down more so than than you would say you are?
2: Um,
1: yeah, I can lead off here. And then Breck want to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I'd say there's just- there's two different kind of axes to, to look at this. So, so one is just the the type of investment strategy that a firm has in the first place. So that, you know, generally is like, are you more short-term oriented and like an active trader, or are you like on ventures, long-term oriented? You know, we've are, we've got a 10-year fund. So we we invest on a really long-term orientation. So that's one. And then of course the other to your point, Anita, is are you a crypto fund exclusively or not? Uh, and I guess another piece of history rhyming in, in bull markets, is typically when you have non-crypto specific funds, um, both on kind of the, the active trading access and the long-term access, getting more interested and, and digging around a little bit and starting to do deals in the crypto space. And then generally in, in bear markets, you see quite a bit less of that. So I would say, you know, there, there certainly are non-crypto specific funds out there that i would classify as true believers or at least true enthusiasts and and they are really excited about it but for sure there, there's a lot more generalist funds that are going to just be be in the space and and want to be around when it's hot and exciting and and maybe less so when it's not so we we at hon ventures are exclusively long-term investors we don't do any active trading of of, of equity or tokens um, and this is the only space that we invest in. We're, of course, generalists within the crypto and Web3 space, but it's the only thing that we do, and we're going to be doing it in in bull markets and bear markets and everything in between.
2: Yeah, and, and maybe to restate something that I think is fairly interesting as someone who is an outsider or, or someone who is new to venture um, is that now, given the last speculative cycle, there's a lot of money that I perceive as being on on the sidelines um, that is looking to be invested into crypto, which actually, I believe, tips the scales more in favor of founders that are looking to raise. Um, And and it means that as a a venture investor in the space, we have to really compete with our peers to show founders why we're a fund that is worth partnering with. And, And I think that really, in terms of the crypto native founders, uh, it really leads them probably to want to work more closely with the funds that are set up to support them and have experience in crypto. Um, and so I, I don't want to speak on behalf of other funds, but it's just it's an interesting dynamic that I think is starting to play out uh, now that we've entered into a little bit uh, of a newer cycle, but there's still being a lot of fun, a, a lot of money on the sidelines, both in traditional venture and in crypto venture that needs to be deployed in crypto.
0: Yeah, I guess on that note, I mean, I'm curious how your LPs are feeling about the crypto market right now. I mean, is there still like a pretty big appetite for exposure to the space? Or have you seen um, your investors sort of, or, or not necessarily just your LPs, but LPs more broadly, become scared or lose interest given what's going on?
1: Yeah, so we uh, we we wrapped up our fundraise at the beginning of the year. And, you know, very fortunately, we've got a tremendous group of, of LPs. And we really had clear communications with with all of them up front that we expected that over the, the course of, we're, we're obviously investing this fund over um, some period of time, that's called the deployment period. So over the course of the deployment period, we were expecting to see the crypto cycle kind of come full swing. And, and now we've started to see that. So certainly, none of our LPs were surprised, and I will say, you know, we we have pretty pretty good regular communication, certainly with um, some of our core LPs, and they're they're all as excited as ever. Uh, Breck and I actually um, were meeting in the Bay with with one of our uh, core LPs just last week, and they it's it's great. They they have a ton of really relevant uh, and really smart questions. They want to sort of understand where the puck is going and um, yeah, they're they're staying really engaged. So I'd say this is one area where we probably, uh, you know, I I only have insight into our LP base and not all all the other funds out there, but I think we're we're pretty fortunate in terms of the LPs that we have really being long-term oriented, really believing in, in what it is we're all setting out to do here. So we've not run into any issues with, um, you know, folks being spooked by the volatility or anything
0: like that. Yeah, Breck, I'm not sure if you had anything to add there, but um, if you do, just would love to hear your thoughts. Otherwise, I I do want to move on to another topic. Yeah,
2: no, no, no. Uh, Just plus one more than anything else.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we get to talk about regulation. It's a pretty hot topic right now. And obviously, given you know, Han Ventures and your Genesis is a firm one that you all have a pretty good insight into. So, I'm wondering for U.S. Uh, specifically, what are some of your biggest concerns right now on the regulation front? I mean, one thing I was reading about was like all of the major crypto exchanges currently being under SEC investigation. I know that's some news that leaked a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, just want to get your thoughts on you know how do you think this is all going to end?
1: Uh, well. <laughs> Asking how it's all going to end is is, uh, a great question that I I wish I had a crystal ball for. But I I would say along the way and and where we're at today, we're actually pretty optimistic with the direction uh, of this space becoming regulated in an appropriate way. Uh, And I I guess yet again, to call back to just how much we've seen the space change since 2014 and and even before that, where um, it, it turns out there's a lot of a lot of benefits of having clear regulation and clear guidance on on what is sort of okay versus not. Now, of course, crypto evolves extremely rapidly and it is really hard for regulation to keep up in real time. But we've got uh, a pretty tremendous group uh, of policy folks within Han Ventures uh, that, that are, I think, doing a really, really solid job in keeping those lines of communications open with the appropriate Folks, you know legislators, lawmakers, et cetera, and just making sure that that regulation is is coming from a well-informed place, because you know technology changes quickly. This is a cutting-edge space, and frankly, it's it's not it's not super usable to to the extent where um, you know just any any old person can figure out necessarily how to navigate this space on their own. So um, these are all things that we try to lend a hand on, and I think. Generally speaking, um, so we've got Tamika Tillman, who's our, our head of policy, and Chris Lahane, our, our chief strategy officer. Um, these guys are, are just tremendously uh, impactful. I think in not only how much they understand about the space, but their ability to to communicate it and articulate the things that are going on and quickly evolving. So I, I think um, you know within the team, we we try to spend quite a bit of of energy and bandwidth. On helping ensure that regulation takes shape in a in a constructive and appropriate way, uh, but overall, yeah, I'd say we're we're pretty optimistic generally, just with the engagement that we're seeing and the fact that folks, you know, in D.C. and around the world are are wanting to lean in and understand this. And, and I think there is now maybe a, a really key difference from 2014, 2015 to today there's now a much broader understanding of what crypto and web3 enables and you go back to 2014 and 2015 so in some of my the work that i was doing back then leading our international expansion i literally was going around the world and speaking with the ministry of finance in different countries the central banks in different countries the the financial authorities and regulators and the first thing out of you know in in every agenda the first one of the, in, in those meetings the first thing out of their mouths would be about Silk Road and Dark Web and all all of these, um, let's say inherently you know not necessarily positive things. Whereas today people are asking about the creator economy and and the empowerment of new economies and and all, all of these things that actually come out quite positive. So I think those those sorts of things just demonstrate you know it's it's only been. Uh, I don't know how long you'd even say this this ecosystem has been an industry truly. So it, it's been less than a decade that we've been an in industry here. And the level of engagement and thoughtfulness that we're seeing from lawmakers and regulators is actually really promising. So it, it's something that we feel pretty good about.
0: I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well on how you're looking at regulation when it comes to the advocacy side of things. Like, are you looking at this more from a perspective of advocating in the U S or do you feel like you have sort of an obligation almost to the, the web three community and ecosystem to advocate for, you know, smarter regulation, I suppose uh, on a worldwide scale.
1: Oh yeah, definitely the latter. We certainly are are really engaged here in the U S and this is where we as a firm are based, but web three and crypto are are obviously global phenomenons, right? So um, I I do think they're in, in the history of the space so far, there tend to be um, a few countries that are maybe like leaning a little bit further ahead and wanting to be first movers and wanting to, to really um, set set the, the tone and define what regulations ought to look like. And, and other countries have, have been happy to maybe follow a lead or maybe just take into consideration those data points. Um, but certainly we are engaged globally and we will spend time I would imagine you know we'll spend end up spending time every year in different regions of the world, um, d- doing kind of what I what I alluded to earlier, engaging with lawmakers and regulators, and just making sure that we're we are doing our part to help inform and
2: educate where we can.
0: I do have one big um, oh, sorry, Breck. I, if you have something to add, I would I would love to hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, no. The only thing I was going to add on top of what Sam said is is one of the really fun parts about the place that we're in is we get to do this alongside our portfolio companies. Um, And and some of the feedback that we've been getting across the board from conversations with regulators and lawmakers is there's nothing, no one better to speak to than the people that are on the ground building the the future that we're moving towards. Uh, And I think it's a really, really good bidirectional relationship that we're helping cultivate to, to bring regulators up to speed, but also give Founders that are that are at the cutting edge to be able to have the communication channels to help, you know, make more informed policy decisions. So I just wanted to add that in there.
0: Got it. Yeah, I just have one other um, sort of big topic I wanted to touch on, and then I have a couple of fun, like, more rapid fire questions for the end. But my last uh, big topic that I wanted to tackle and, and ask both of you about is: I noticed a blog post that Chris had had published from your firm on decentralization and sort of the concept of web 2.5 companies versus web 3 companies. And I'm just curious if you can share a little bit of your thoughts on how important it is for a company to be decentralized and how you view that when you're making your investments.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is actually a super important topic that I think can be, um, I don't know, oftentimes maybe misunderstood or not, not completely understood, which is, um, obviously, at the core of crypto and Web3 is this concept of decentralization. And maybe even more specifically, this all stems from you know, the invention of decentralized consensus in the first place, which was was the big breakthrough of Bitcoin back in the day. Um, but yeah, the the idea of everything all the time always being decentralized is uh, is definitely not, I think, the world that we're trending towards. I think the fact that you have the ability to, to choose either as a developer or an end user is the key thing here. And so you can imagine um, a world and the world that we are certainly investing into and, and trying to bring, bring to life here. Um, there's going to be a mix of some things are better done fully decentralized. Uh, and again, things around consensus uh, generally, we, we really love the idea of decentralized consensus and everything that that makes possible, but then, on the other hand, of course, you're you're going to continue to see centralized businesses bringing valuable products and services to the market, and we want we want to bring into a world where uh, both of those things exist in parallel, and um, I, I think probably you know help each other quite a bit. So I, I think one of the common um, I don't know if this is still common today, but certainly last year one of the common criticisms that that we would see or hear. Would be like you know, oh, so and so company is not even decentralized, or so such and such company is actually uh, a centralized API. So you know, how is the experience even decentralized? And I think the fact of the matter is, not everything needs to be decentralized. But what we do love, and maybe to draw the analogy of of say like social networks or social media, what we what we love is the end user having the ability to exit a centralized platform and bring all of their information and data with them. And so this is something that, you know, you can imagine in in the Web2 social media era being deplatformed or even just deciding to to leave a certain platform um, that's centralized. You don't have an ability to take your social graph with you. But in crypto and Web3, the social graph itself that's being built on top of is, is open and can therefore be kind of ported from uh, one centralized platform to the next, whatever. However, the user chooses to do that. So we we think decentralization is, is super important, but it's not needed for every step in the user experience. And then um, tying this back, and and Breck, maybe if you want to say something about Chris's essay uh, in terms of decentralized governance and uh, you know when that's appropriate versus not.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and I'll also just jump in and and say quickly, like I think the the question at hand really boils down to like when and where does decentralization matter? Likely, though it's not always the case, likely decentralization is more important for properties like censorship resistance um, and things like that. When you go further down the stack, Uh, you want to have a credible neutral, credibly neutral, like base layer, but then on top it's okay for there to be, you know, more levels of permissionness uh, and I actually tend to think and trade off decentralization and scalability and UX and these sorts of things kind of like I would trade off uh, what technologies I might use in a in a conventional Web 2 stack. You know, there might be reasons for using Google Cloud over AWS. Uh, and ultimately, it's up to whoever's building the product uh, to be able to make those decisions and and you know, articulate those to the users so that they're able to be informed and choose what, you know, DeFi app they'd like to use or what layer one blockchain they want to, you know, build on or, or use. And so I think we'll find more often than not that we're moving into a, a, a design space for general, like crypto in general, where decentralization for some people is extremely important and for others it's not, or, or maybe it's even a spectrum and, and that's totally okay. Uh, and that there will be trade-offs to be made, but ultimately choice is the important uh, factor here that maybe was more limiting uh, in a more Web2 environment where you actually don't have the choice and by default, you know the, the solutions or products that you use are, are centralized walled gardens.
0: Thanks. Uh, thanks for those thoughts. It's definitely a big topic and there's a lot going on there, but I just wanted to end, given that we have a couple of minutes left here with a few uh, rapid-fire fun questions, if that's all right with the two of you. Uh, the first one I wanted to ask is, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of, like, it's been fun to see the crypto community come together and meet up in, you know, these events and conferences in person. So what's the most fun or like one example of a fun crypto event that you've been to recently?
2: Yeah. Um, well, so we we actually, Chris and I just got back from ECC, which is one of my personal favorite conferences. I mean, A, it's summer in Paris and who doesn't love Paris in the summer, but B, it's a conference that is fairly saturated with engineers and developers, um, which I tends to be a community that I really that really resonates with me, Um, and so rather you know, there's a lot of conversations that are like really deep, technical, and nerdy, uh, and that's the kind of stuff that I like to nerd out on, and so that's 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 one of my favorites is, is ECC, and definitely recommend anyone who wants to get a little bit closer to what the builders are doing in the space and uh, specifically not just within the Ethereum community, but within a- adjacent communities, ECC is a really great one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I echo that. I think we, we try to be thoughtful about um,
1: which events we do go to. And obviously in, in crypto, there's a pretty wide spectrum of um, maybe how... Uh, how technical versus how like yeah maybe, maybe how technical versus how social a certain conference maybe is setting out to be and both of those things are are important but of course in balance with with each other so um, yeah I think as of late those have been some of the great ones and seeing the um, seeing the developer communities that that are forming around some of these ecosystems and some of them that span multiple ecosystems uh, so that's all really exciting stuff and I guess in our closing minute of rapid fire here, we can give a quick plug that we will, uh, will be at the Stanford blockchain conference, uh, I think next week. So if anyone, if anyone is, uh, you know, in this space is going to be attending, feel free to hit us up.
2: Yeah. Our DMs are open.
0: Awesome. Yeah. You, you know where to find them on, on Twitter, but um, last question for you guys. So we obviously all probably spend a lot of time on crypto, Twitter and in various discord chats and everything, but outside of crypto and web three, what is a book or a movie or a TV show that you've really enjoyed recently? It can be something fun, like guilty pleasure, maybe.
1: Oh man, I, I've got one. Well, I, I've got a show that I was watching last night. Uh, so the, the show is called Hacks, and I'm on season two. I'm not all the way done, so, so don't spoil it for me if you guys are further ahead. But um, uh, yeah, it's just a, a really hilarious show about like a, an older comedian and a younger comedian, kind of banding banding together and and having shared adventures uh so that that one always makes me laugh and then uh favorite movie i guess i go go to the movie theater a little bit less often these days but one that i did make sure to go to the theater uh, and catch was uh the top gun sequel uh top gun maverick and if you want to be laughing and happy and excited and also like tearing up a little bit, I
2: would highly recommend catching Top Gun Maverick.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I don't know if, Breck, you have any any <laughs> favorites to add there.
2: Yeah, sorry. I was unmuted. Or trying to trying to unmute. Um, movie-wise, I, I recently watched Coda on a plane and was doing like simultaneously crying and laughing hysterically on the plane, which was probably super annoying for all the people in my aisle. Uh, but if you haven't seen Coda, definitely recommend it. And then book-wise, I've historically not been much of a, like, fiction reader. Like, usually, like, we'll read, you know, things related to crypto. But I've tried this year to, to read a lot more fiction stuff. And as a part of that, got into the Dune trilogy. Actually, as a recommendation from Sam back in November. You're welcome. Remember. Yeah, and I freaking love it. And, you know, it's a long book, but it's really, really good and recommend. If anyone really liked the movie... Um, But wants to learn more about the world, like definitely read the book before the second movie comes out because it's much better. So I'll plug it in.
0: Awesome, yeah. I haven't read it, but it sounds like a good pick. Um, Definitely always looking for non crypto things to read too. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much both for your time. This was a really fascinating conversation. I feel like there's never quite enough time to talk through everything going on in the world of crypto startups. But just wanted to say uh, really quickly before we end here for anyone who's listening today. Um, or only caught part of the conversation, we're also going to be posting it as part of our crypto podcast at TechCrunch Chain Reaction. We put out new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So be sure to check that out on your favorite podcast platform. And you can also follow us on uh, Twitter at Chain underscore Reaction. So yeah, thanks again, Sam and Breck. This was a really great conversation.
1: Thanks for having us, Anita. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much.
0: We'll
2: be back every week with interviews with the experts in the Web3 space. Catch Anita, Jackie, and myself every Thursday for the latest in crypto news. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform. And subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and more from our guests can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chain underscore Reaction.
0: Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Anita Ramaswamy, along with my co-hosts, Lucas Matney and Jackie Melanick. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and see you next week.